0: Galatians chapter 4, starting in verse 1 and reading down to verse 7. So here, the words of God being spoken this morning. Now I say that as long as the heir is a child, he differs in no way from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. Instead, he is under guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children... We're in slavery under the elements of the world. And when the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. God, I think my desire for all of us in this room is that our posture of our hearts would be just open-handed. That we would come here to receive from you, Lord. Some of us are tired physically, emotionally, and spiritually, and we need to receive. So God, help us, Lord. Help us to take what you're saying here in these next few moments, and may we hear and receive it as your very words that we need to hear this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe seated. So, what does it mean to be a Christian? So, someone come up to you this afternoon or sometime this week and just ask you, "What is Christianity all about?" What would you say? I mean, it seems like a simple answer, but I think if we sit down and think about it, there's a there's a complexity, or there's a lot of things that kind of come to our mind when we think about what is. Christianity about. It's about salvation. It's about forgiveness of sins. It's about uh, taking off our shame and our guilt. It's about a new heavens and a new earth. It's about being in a brand new kingdom. It's about having a new king and a new ruler in our life. It's about, um, you know, dying and knowing exactly where we're going when we die. I mean, all these things kind of come to our minds when we think about what it is the essence of Christianity. What is Christianity about We've been working through this little letter that Paul wrote to a handful of churches in Galatia. And it's been, um, I don't know, for me personally, maybe you guys don't feel this, but it's been a challenging letter and at the same time an amazing letter. Uh, Challenging in the sense that uh, sometimes Paul can get into these long, deep arguments and you kind of know where he's going, but man, sometimes when he's trying to get you there, you get a little lost in the weeds. For example, chapter 3. I mean, I just encourage you to go home and just kind of read that several times. I mean, he's when I mean, you kind of get where he's going. He's just saying, hey, you can't be right with God with the law. That ain't going to happen. It's a gift from God. it's done through his son, Jesus Christ. But boy, oh gosh, he's bringing in a lot of arguments that sometimes we can get lost in the weeds. But not only has it been challenging, it's also amazing. And amazing in this sense is that Paul can sum up the essence of what it means to be a Christian or even what is Christianity and basically three verses. And we saw him do that in Galatians chapter four, verses four through seven. So what is Christianity about? What's the essence of Christianity? It's about adoption, that we were all spiritual orphans and we've been adopted into the family of God. J.I. Packer astounding author and theologian, writes this. He says this. Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers, and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old, everything that is distinctively Christian as opposed to merely Jewish is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name for God. So here's what I want to, want to do this morning, because it is Orphan Care Sunday, and I think it's good for us to reflect and think about our own adoption when we were spiritual orphans. And I get it, guys, if you've been traveling with us uh, for the long haul, we're skipping kind of a, a big section, not a big, a few verses there in chapter three, and, and part of that obviously is on purpose, because I do want to spend a few moments talking about our adoption as God is our Father, because that's the emphasis that we see here in the first half of chapter four. And so I just want to bring out uh, kind of two truths, maybe two reminders for us uh, that I think sometimes we forget, and maybe not really forget, that we just don't really think on well, that's in this passage of Scripture, and then I want to kind of land the plane with some ways that we can apply it. That's where I'm going this morning. So the first truth that we see here in these verses is this, is that God wants you to be his son i just I just want you to sit with that. I think sometimes um, we think God is kind of like the the parent where the child is down or struggling or you know, maybe somebody made fun of them at school or about their teeth or their hair or whatever it is, and they come home and they're, you can see it in their eyes or they're crying tears, and the mom or dad tries to encourage the parent by saying, look, man, you're beautiful. Oh, you're one beautiful child. And use the child response with what? Well, you're my mom. You're supposed to say that, Right? You're my dad. You're supposed to say that. And I think sometimes we can think the same way about God, that this is what God is supposed to do, that this is what he kind of has to do. And I want to say, like, there's, there's some very small truths in that, but I just want to kind of, like, emphasize the reality that God wants you to be his son. Yes, sometimes when we hear that, it makes us feel like that God is needy. God is not needy. No, he's not. He doesn't need us to complete him. Like he's fully complete and satisfied in this triune relationship of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So he's not needy. I, I, I get that. God does all things for his own glory. Everything he does has a primary motive for his own fame and his own honor, and he has to do that. Because if he doesn't do that, then he's an idolater, right? He's worshiping something else other than himself. He must have at his aim his glory, his honor, his praise. That has to be, right there? But at the same time, that is not void of his desire and want for you. God wants you to be his son. I mean, Look what Paul says here starting in, Verse 4, when the time came to completion, God did what? He sent his son. So whose time? Whose history? Who's orchestrating all of this? God is. God is orchestrating all of history to make you his son. Do you get that? Do you, you hear how profound that is? That God is orchestrating all of history. When the time came to completion in order to get you His son, he sent his son Jesus, born of a woman, which is just alluding to the reality that he's fully man and fully God, born under the law, which is speaking to the reality that he was born as a Jew and a Jewish family under the law, and what he did, where Adam and Eve and Noah and Moses and David and Solomon and Israel, all of those failed to keep the law, but Jesus, born under the law, obeyed the law perfectly, and God did this to redeem those who, under the law, which is all of us, both Jew and Gentile, and this is the reason why. So that we might receive adoption as sons. I think sometimes when we think about our own salvation, we have a tendency to only think about what's taken off. Are you following me? So, And this is good. I mean, this is a great thing to think about. So what's taken off of us? of Our forgiveness, our sins. I mean, our sins. We're completely forgiven of our sins, What's taken off of us is shame and guilt and fear. And those are wonderful, beautiful things that we need to think on and meditate on. And I think that's what Paul is getting after in the first part of verse five when he says to redeem those under the law. He's redeeming us, he's rescuing us, taking us away from the slavery of sin. So those are the things that that God has taken off of us at salvation, but sometimes we neglect to think about what's being put on us. So not only is he taking off all these wonderful things, Our sin, shame, guilt, fear, all these rescued us out of slavery, but he's also put something on us. And Paul says that in the second half of verse 5 when he says this, so that we might receive adoption as sons. God has put on us sonship is what he's done. Now, if you're a lady in here, you're probably going, why does Paul use son? Especially if you're reading, you know, Through Here you'll see in verse 28 of chapter 3, Paul says, hey, you know, in Christ there's no more male and female. So so wouldn't it be consistent for Paul later on, a few verses later, to say sons and daughters of God? Why does he leave out daughters? And he chooses that very specifically because he could have used a word that kind of includes both sons and daughters, but Paul specifically uses a word that just says son." that we have been given sonship. Why? Why does Paul do that? Does he hate women? No. The reason why Paul does that is because in this time, you know who got the inheritance? The son. The daughter got nothing. And Paul wants to make sure, and you hear this, that if you're in Christ, both male and Female are heirs. They will have an inheritance also. That's why the early church exploded with women because they saw in Christianity them being valued. Their worth, their, their dignity was restored. And Paul is wanting women to understand that if you're in Christ, you're not being excluded, you are a son of God, and you will also receive an inheritance. That's what he's getting after there in verse 7 when he says this. So you are no longer a slave, but you are a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. In Christ, both male and female have been given sonship. You have an inheritance. So follow what Paul is saying here. Follow this. And I know for some of us in this room, maybe this is like, oh, yeah, I've heard this before. Well, I don't think we really heard it. I mean, I want to get deep in your So God is not wanting just your obedience. God is not just wanting you to be good, law-abiding citizens. That's not what he wants. God is not just wanting you to be nice people, moral people, good people, fair people. That's not what God wants. God doesn't just want you to be rescued from the slavery of sin, even though that's a wonderful, beautiful gift. Like, yes, hallelujah, praise God for that. But that's not what God primarily wants. He wants more. He wants you to be his son. He orchestrated the events of history in order to make you his son. He took on flesh. God took on flesh. Took on humanity. Clothed himself like one of us. Why? So that you could be one of his sons. He wanted to do this. He went to hell and back. Why? Why did he do that? Because he wants you. He wants, he desires for you to be his son. He wants you to have a place, he wants you to have a home, he wants you to have a family. He wants you to feel a sense of belonging. He wants that haunting question, who am I, to be answered. He wants you to have an inheritance. God wants you to be his son. But that's not it. Look what else Paul says to you. The second thing is this. is God wants you to feel like his son. Did you hear that? He's not just satisfied with you knowing this cognitively, that you're a child of God. God wants you to feel it. He wants you to experience it. I mean, think about this, guys. Look, look why, do, why do you go to a concert? Why do you go to a concert? You go to a concert so you can feel, right, the music. I mean, there's one way you can kind of listen to it with radio. And it's like, ah, okay, yeah, there's a way you know it. But going to a concert, you want to feel it. You want to experience it. Why do you go to a live ball game, football, basketball, hockey, soccer, whatever you like to go to, right? I don't go to any of those except basically basketball. The reason why I go is because I want to feel it. I want to experience the crowd, right? I want to experience people yelling and screaming and feeling it in my bones. Look, guys, look, that's not any different with God here. God doesn't, isn't just satisfied with you knowing that you're a child of God. He's not. He wants you to feel it. He wants you to experience it. Now, where are you getting this, Laos? Some of you might be thinking I'm kind of crazy because in our camp, we all are about object the objective truth, which I am, and sometimes we downplay the subjectiveness that God wants us to feel and experience because we're a little afraid and that's all kinds of touchy-feely stuff. But look, God's after both. And look what he does here. He does a double sending. Verse 4, he sent who? His son Jesus to accomplish this objective work. Verse 6, he does another sending. Look who he sends and look where he sends him. Look at this. Because you are sons. God sent, there's a the double send. There's the word again. The spirit of his son. Where did he send him? Into our hearts. It doesn't say into our minds. So God doesn't send the Spirit into the thinking realm of your body. God sends the Spirit into the feeling realm of your body. You follow me? In the place where our emotions are and where our experiences are, that's where God is sending the Holy Spirit. Why? Because God wants us to feel. God wants us to feel what it's like to be his son. He wants us to experience that. And that is the Spirit's job to help us like the son is, like a a genuine son and daughter of God. That's what he's after. He's not satisfied with you just knowing about God's approval, which we need that. Like I I need something outside of me sometimes that affirms that God approves of me. But God's not just satisfied with that. He also wants you to feel his approval. God is not just satisfied with with you just knowing that you're loved. God also wants you to feel the love of God. God is not just satisfied that you you know that you are of worth to him and value to him. No, he also wants you to feel that worth and feel that value. God is not just satisfied with you just knowing about God's laughter and joy he has over you. But he wants you to feel it. And so how do we know that? Because he sent his son, spirit, not into our heads, but he sent it into our hearts. So that we wouldn't just know, but that we would also feel. I mean, I think one of the, and I've shared this parable tons, and that's okay. It's good to repeat, right? Um, Luke 15. I mean, it's it's probably the, the most beautiful parable that gives us a picture into the heart of God the fatherhood of God, and that's, you know, the parable of the prodigal son, where the son basically goes to the dad and, and says, I wish you were dead, I mean, that's, that's what he's saying when he's saying, hey, I want my inheritance now, that I don't want a relationship with you anymore, I, I wish you were dead, so give me your inheritance right now, and so this father being a good dad gives him that inheritance, you know, the story, the son goes and blows everything, I mean, he squanders all of it, every single bit of it, and he's, he's feeding pigs in a pig pen something a Jewish person would never do, never dream of doing. And in that moment, the text tells us that he kind of awakened to himself and realized, like, what in the world am I doing here? i got a dad who's pretty wealthy, and even his hired servants have it better than I do. And so I'm going to go back to him. So he makes up this speech of what he's going to say, and he starts heading back to home, and then the dad sees the boy, and what does he do? He runs. Something that an adult male in that time never does. They don't run. It'd be like me going out here climbing a tree, right? I mean, there's some fun in that. But adult men don't climb trees, right? Some of the reasons why is because we fall and we're not as limber anymore, right? It's just weird. You just don't do that. It's the same way here. An adult man in this time, in this this, this antiquity, they don't run. But this dad goes and runs. And what does he do first? He doesn't say anything to him, does he? He doesn't even give the son a chance to talk. He doesn't tell his son, hey, I love you, brother. Glad you're back. High five. I knew you'd come around. Let's get in there get you changed up. He doesn't say anything. What does the dad do? The dad grabs his son and he hugs him. The text says he lavishly hugs kisses him. Why? Because he didn't want the son just to hear it. He wanted his son to feel it. And so God sends his spirit so that we would experience the love of God. So that we would feel the kiss of our father. Another way of thinking about this is and I know it's, these are stock photos. I tried to find a few, um, but just ran out of time. All right, so just embrace the stock photos, amen. So that's not me. That's not anybody in this congregation, I don't think. So just found it on the internet, amen. So thank God for internet. But, uh, but here, like, look at this. I mean, this is a beautiful picture. Here's a dad walking with his daughter, holding hands. You just think about all the implications that that picture says. Isn't it true that picture you know what, it's just like gives us thousands of words? We just sit here and think about that. There's comfort, there's, there's safety, there's security. The daughter knows that the dad loves her, and cares for her, and thinks the world of her. There's just a, a childlike trust that that little girl has. Because why? Because that's his daughter. Another picture, what if, what if the dad chose to picked the girl up, and it's not the same picture. I tried to find the same picture. That would have been really amazing, but I wasn't able to do that, so just bear with me. So what if the dad picked the girl up and began to hug her, throw her up in the air, do this like you see here? Has anything changed in her status? Has anything changed what, what was true about, about this relationship previously? No, what, what has happened though? What has happened here? From, from walking hand to hand to now being thrown up in the air, to now being hugged, what has happened? Her experience of her dad has changed. Now she's feeling the enjoyment of being his child. That's what God does with the spirit. He sends his spirit so that he can take what you know in your head and make you feel it in your heart. So that when you would experience this enjoyment that God has for you being his child. So look, God wants you to be his son. And he's not just satisfied with that. He wants you to feel it. So he sends his son Jesus to do the objective work in order to make us his son, And Then he sends his spirit in order to do the subjective work so that we can feel like his child. So look, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, the first thing I want to say to you is, man, I thank you for coming. I know sometimes it can be really intimidating to come into a context like this and maybe you feel like everybody's looking at you weird or strange and like everybody in this room has their lives all put together, but if you stay with us very long, you'll, you'll figure that out really quickly. We don't, amen? We are broken people in need of Jesus Christ. But if you're not a Christian here, I, I do. I think there's an invitation that God has for you, and my prayer is that you would hear this, and that is this, that God wants to be your dad. He wants you to be a son. See, the problem with our world And the problem with us as humanity is not that we've strayed away from some kind of moral law. That's not the problem. The problem is is that we've strayed away from him. That's the problem. The reason why you feel lost, the reason why you feel out of place, the reason why even you might have an amazing friend group, you still don't feel like you belong, the reason why it's hard to figure out who am I and answering that question, the reason why even in the context of your own family, you sometimes don't feel at home. That is because you are made for God. And God is quietly reminding you of this truth and calling out to you this morning that I want to be your dad. I want you to be my son. And it's a simple yet profound and costly way, and that is only through Christ can that be a reality, that we humble ourselves, repent of our sins, and receive the work that God has done through his son Jesus on our behalf. And when that happens, immediately your status changes. You go from being a spiritual orphan to being a part of a family, and God is your father. Some of us are here and you would say you're a Christian and want to talk about this idea of feeling and experiencing God's love. Uh, It's it's really far for you. It's not evident. There's a big gap, so to speak, between what you know is true about you and Christ and what you experience and feel. And if you're honest, like we don't want that gap. Like we want to feel like a child of God. We want to experience the enjoyment of the Father. We want to feel the embrace and the kiss of our dad. We do. God's created you like that. And so what do I do, Lyle, with this gap of what I know and what I'm really experiencing? How does that gap close? And guys, you got to hear me. Man, I'm not a big fan of formulaic Christianity. And all I mean by formulaic Christianity is this kind of mindset to where if you do A and B, then you're always going to get C. I believe God works in way more complex ways, and I believe humanity is way more complex. And where do I get that? Well, if you read the wisdom literature, you'll get that. Read Job, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, bring those all together, and you'll see formulaic Christianity doesn't work, it's not in the Bible, and we don't preach it here. However, however, God gives us means that we, as a child of God, are to step in in order to close that gap between what I know about him and what I'm really experiencing. And Paul tells us what that is, and that is prayer. We pray. I mean, look what he says here in verse 6. And because you're a son, God sent the spirit of a son into our hearts crying. That word crying is kind of a profound passion, a feeling. It's, it's a shout. It's calling out. It's a It's a screaming that comes naturally, intuitively. It's known immediately. And what are we crying out? We're crying out, Abba, Father. Abba is a very intimate language. It's like baby talk. It's like Dada. It's like Papa. And so what Paul is wanting us to make connections here is that when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, he addressed God as what? As Father. And so Paul's helping us see here, like, if I want to, if I want to close the gap between what I know to be true about God and what I'm experiencing, if I want to feel the embrace of my Father, if I want to feel the kiss of my Father, if I want to feel like His Son, then Paul is saying, pray, talk to God, go to Him, carve out time, make room. Don't worry about lingo and jargon and if I'm doing it right or wrong, just go talk. And in this context is what God uses to kind of shrink that gap. No guarantee here, but it is the means by which God has given to us to where he takes what we know and how we can begin to experience it and feel it. It's when we pray. But, Lau, what if if I'm at a place where I can't even do that? You ever been there? Have you ever been at a place in a season of life where you don't have the capacity to even pray? That you're suffering under whatever issue it may be. Maybe it's just a season of real doubt and discouragement. And it's even hard for you to pray this because you just don't believe it. Well, There's hope for you. Look what Paul says. Who's doing the shouting? Who's doing the crying out? I and mean, look at this in verse 6. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying Abba, Father. Who's doing the shouting? Who's doing the crying? In Romans chapter 8, the parallel passage of that, it's us. But in Galatians chapter 4, who is it? It's not us doing that. It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is doing the crying out, the shouting. Abba, Father. And guys, I'm, I'm here to tell you, I'm, I've been thinking, meditating, planning on meditating more this week, trying to figure out why. Why? Why is this? Why is the Holy Spirit doing this? And the only reason I can kind of come up with right now is because there are seasons in our life where we are at a place where we don't have the capacity to do it. And in those moments, this is what Paul is saying the Holy Spirit is shouting Remember who your dad is, remember that you're loved. Remember, oh man, he he is proud of you. I know you don't feel it. I know you don't hear it, but remember, and this is the Holy. I'm I'm, I'm kind of calm here because I don't want to freak people out. But the Holy Spirit shouting that he is crying it out on your behalf. Why? Because you're His kid, you're His son, and His daughter, and the Spirit of Christ dwells in you, realizing that living as a human being in this fallen world is really hard at times. And there are seasons in your life where you physically cannot try that out, but the Spirit of God is doing it on your behalf. Reminding you that he delights. So here's how I want us to respond this morning. I've got two ways. One is one that we always do, and that's communion. We ask those that are Christians to come forward. We break a piece of the bread off. We always dip it in wine or juice. The wine's always marked by twine. And as you come today, I, I really, I mean, these are things I'm asking you to intentionally reflect on. So you're, you're, you're going to call your mind to think about these things, and that is this. Think about what God the Father has done through his Son, Jesus Christ, to make you his son. And why did he do that? Because he wants to. If you're not a Christian here, then our encouragement for you is not to take this meal, but that you would receive and take Jesus. The second way of responding today is through what we call healing prayer. And we do this about once a quarter. You know, we try to do this periodically in the life of our church. And, and all we're, we're, we're doing here is this, is that we want to acknowledge That God is still in the business of doing miracles in our lives. That he is still wanting to bring physical, emotional, and spiritual healing in an instant. Sometimes he chooses to do it over time. We know all of this will happen in the new heavens and the new earth, right? We long for that day and pray for that day. But there are moments where God wants to do this in a miraculous way, even in the moment. And the means by which he does that is through prayer. And we want to be a body that doesn't step back from that, but steps into that. And so if you're here this morning, you've got physical ailment, you're sick or something going on with your physical body, let us pray for you. I mean, it's no guarantee that God's going to heal you, but this is the means by which he will heal you. We have leaders and pastors in the back that would love to pray for you over that. But also, look, it's not just physical ailments that we deal with in our body. It's also emotional problems, amen? And sometimes emotional problems are more difficult than physical problems. So some of you come into this room and you're, you're, you're plagued with anxiety. Maybe you're suffering under, under depression. Maybe you're just, just in a spirit of just, you're just really discouraged. You don't even know why. I mean, let us pray for you. Let's anoint you with oil. Ask God to do something in your own heart and spirit to where he heals your emotional issues there. And maybe, maybe it's even spiritual. Man, you know you're a Christian, but the reality is, man, you don't feel like it, Right? There's a massive gap, and maybe you are praying, right? And it's still dry. And I'm not saying there's some kind of little magic formula that if you come back there and pray, oh, wow, your dryness is going to be gone. But I do think that God does something within us when we have a brother or sister over and pray over us about the dryness that's going on in our life. And even God does something when we go to someone and say, look, I am dry spiritually, and I hate it. That confession can do something in your own interior world. So let's step into this, not step back, and cry out and ask God to help us. Let's pray together.